Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water, that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of our Lord. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Today, we're looking at this value of planted and planting. And, and this value is really about the legacy and longevity of this church. This is about the big picture of what we want to see God do. God's call on our life is much bigger than what we just see now. In fact, there's this vision that Paul writes about to his disciple Timothy as Timothy is, is pastoring this church in Ephesus. Now, Timothy was going through some struggles. If you've got a Bible, I want you to, want you to flip open to um, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at the first two verses to kind of tee us up as we get into Jeremiah 17 today. So Paul is writing to his disciple Timothy, a guy that he went deep with in all of life, a guy that he shared everything with, and then a guy who he gave ministry away to. Now, so Timothy is struggling in this newfound role that he's in, and he doesn't really know how to go forward. And Paul says, you know, I want to write him a letter to encourage him in the work. And, and um, so Tim Timothy is pastoring this growing, diverse church in the city of, of Ephesus. And it's burdensome and, and, and heavy on him. And Timothy is suffering. I mean, you read in the book, First and Second Timothy, you read in those letters, and he's, he's anxious, he's fearful, his body is feeling the effects of the stress of being in ministry. And Paul writes to encourage him. He, he's afraid that he's too young to lead. There's all these things going on, yet God is using Timothy in the midst of it. And in the middle of this letter to, to Timothy, the second one that he wrote, he gives this big picture vision of the church that he's playing, what God's doing. And it's good for us to zoom out so that we can more effectively zoom in. And he says this, writes to Timothy, he says, You then, my child, you then, my child. That's, that's what their relationship was like. It was like, he wasn't his physical father, but he was his spiritual dad. He had, he had discipled him and done a lot of life with him. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. A lot here. Don't find your strength on the outside. Don't find your strength in how much people like you that you're leading. Don't find your strength in do people like the message that you're preaching. Don't find your strength in anywhere other than the grace of Jesus, he says. And then, okay, my child, remember our relationship. Remember your relationship with Jesus. Now remember what you're doing. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, at first glance, this might seem like some filler in the midst of, of this letter to Timothy. But what you see as you unpack this is four generations of disciple making. You, you then my child, right? There's, so there's, there's Paul and Timothy there. Entrust this message to faithful men and women who will be able to entrust this message with others also. I don't know about you, but I don't tend to think that big. 
And, and our culture certainly doesn't help us think that big. It doesn't help us zoom out to the degree where we think, I don't know, past lunch today, right? It, it doesn't help us do that. And so we as a church have to be extremely conscientious of this and be very intentional in how we move forward because we want to plant something in the city that outlasts us. Amen? We want to be a part of something so much bigger than us. Over Labor Day weekend, my family and I went to Brasstown Bald, which happens to be the highest elevation in the state of Georgia. I, I don't know what the exact elevation is, but it's the highest point. And, and so here's how it works. You park down in this parking lot. It's, it's in North Georgia. And you take this little tram up, or if you're, if you're really feeling up to it, you can hike up it or hike down it. And, and we chose hiking down. And I'd like to tell you, it was because we wanted to get exercise, but the bus was broken down, so we didn't have a choice. So, so we, we, you know, we go up, and while we're up there on the observation deck, okay, get this. We, we're looking out, it's a beautiful, clear day. I mean, you remember Labor Day weekend, it was just so beautiful. It was a beautiful, clear day, and we were looking out, you can see, I think, three or four states from up there. It's just amazing. And on really clear days, you can even see some of the skyline in Atlanta. It's, it's ridiculous how far you can see up there. Now, so Megan and I are just taking it all in. My in-laws are up there with, with us as well, and the kids are with us. And, you know, we kinda, it's like one of those moments we got our arms around each other just kind of looking out at the expanse and, and kind of in a moment of worship, really, like, look, look at what you've done, God. This is amazing. And, and our kids, we're trying to get them to come over and look, and, and I kid you not, they are, they are scouring around in the wood plank flooring looking for spare change. I mean, they're looking, they're asking Nana and Papa, they're asking complete strangers, and some of my kids are shy, they don't care. They're trying to find a quarter. Now, what are they looking, why are they trying to find a quarter? Well, there's these big, mediocre, binocular telescope kind of things up there. You know what I'm talking about? You can, you can put a couple quarters in it, and you can, you can like zoom in and, and kind of look, and you can see really far away, and that's really what they want the quarters for. So they were so busy looking for spare change so that they could fight over who could look through the binoculars for 15 seconds that they literally missed what we were looking at. They missed the big picture. So many times this is what we're prone to do as well. We zoom in on things. We think about our circumstances to the degree that it, that it, that it literally keeps us from, from seeing the big picture. And, and, and today what I want to talk about is what would it look like for us to think beyond our experience today and to see ourselves as part of this narrative that Paul and Timothy are talking about, this intergenerational passing the baton down to others' faith. What would that look like for us? And here's the big idea of where we're, where we're honing in. The only way to be a church that outlasts ourselves is to sink our roots deep into Jesus. Let me say it again. The only way to be a church or a people or a person that outlasts ourselves is to sink our roots deep into Jesus. Now, now the temptation for us to be these types of pe people is usually to do as much ministry as you possibly can, to, to invest your life as quickly as you can in as many people as possible. Now, now the problem is with that is that type of ministry rarely lasts. It's not sustaining. It doesn't keep going on. Now, this value is so important to me because it, this is, guys, this is the day when New City Church has a different pastor. It's got a couple of buildings. It's planted several churches. This, this value is for those people. It's for your kids' kids. 
That's what's at stake here. And we're always just one generation away from losing the gospel. We're always just one generation away from losing the mission. We've got to keep it in front of us. And a lot of times we think, okay, I think I know how to do that. But so many times we fail to look at the way that Jesus did it. How did Jesus make disciples who made disciples? I mean, you think about Paul and Timothy, like how did they come on the scene? Well, he spent three years with this group of guys. They, they showed very little fruit from their lives in those three years. It was all underground work that he was doing with his disciples. And then he, then he meets Paul in this, what Paul calls this untimely way on the road to Damascus. And he's discipled kind of in this supernatural way. But even Paul disappears out into the desert to be with Jesus for several years before God begins to use him drastically. We've got to be people that consider the long-term vision of the church. So let's look at Jeremiah 17. If you've got a Bible, flip over to Jeremiah 17. We're just going to look at three or four verses here in Jeremiah 17. And this value for us is this, planted and planting. Now, this value not only talks about what, we're, what, what our lives and our church will produce, we think that, that the Great Commission is really about church planting. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. That if you're really about making disciples, those disciples have to be in the church. So the call to make disciples is the call to plant churches. But it's not, it doesn't start there. It doesn't start with our activity for God. It starts with our identity in God. You can't plant something if you haven't been planted yourself. A, a, a tree can't reproduce if it doesn't have roots of its own. And so sometimes one of the most missional things that we can do, not sometimes, all the time, is plant ourselves and sink ourselves deep into Jesus if you really want to go far with the gospel. And so Jeremiah 17, let me refresh your, your, your memory here, verses 5 through 8 here. This is planted. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert, and he shall not see any good come. He should dwell in the parched places. I get thirsty just reading this, right? He should dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends its roots out by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. Now, let me give you a little context here about what's going on in the book of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah lived during a terribly painful period in, in the history of God's people. So he's this prophet to Judah, which is the southern kingdom. It was a divided kingdom at the time. And, and they're undergoing exile. So what that means is that someone has taken over their city, their town, their people, and they're being hauled out of town. And God's job for Jeremiah is to go and encourage them to repent and remind them of who God is. And, but also to tell them about the destruction that's headed their way if they don't. This is why Jeremiah is known by some as the weeping prophet. He had really bad news to tell them that really played into the good news of the gospel. Because we don't know how good the news of the gospel is until we know how bad the news of ourselves is. And so Jeremiah is, is ministering in this deeply broken period of time. I mean, think about this. He probably saw the Babylonians take multiple groups of his friends into exile. Stripped out of their homes. Maybe their families were separated. And Jerusalem faded into deep history at this, at this moment. It was just a part of the, 
uh, the, the empire. Yeah. You just think about this. It, families of, of God's beloved children stripped out of their land that God had promised them. The promise came with these very specific, tangible things that, that God would be uh, our God and that we would be His people. He said, I'm going to give you descendants. As numerous. He told this to Abraham. Give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the granules of sand on the seashore, even though you're barren. You and Sarah cannot have children. I'm going to give you those children. I'm going to make you a people. Not only that, but I'm going to give you a, a land. You've went from the land that you didn't know, and I'm going to take you to a land. I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to give you this land, this promised land that's flowing with milk and honey, this land of Canaan. I'm going to give it to you. And then they end up building a city in the midst of that land. Everything that is visible about God's promises to them is stripped out of their lives because of their disobedience. Some of you know what that feels like. Some of you know what it's like to be in the desert. Some of you know what it's like when you can't see God, you can't feel God, you think you can't know God in those moments. These guys were in that place. They were in this place where they were trying to hold on to God in the middle of the darkness. And Jeremiah comes and he gives this word of the Lord to them. And what he, what he, what he says to them is He gives them a picture. A picture of something they would have been familiar with. They're, they're being hauled through the desert to another city. And they see vegetation all around as they're you know, trans, you know, trouncing to another city. They're being dragged out. They see these, these shrubs, these, these, these little bushes around that, that don't look like anything. And then every once in a while you see a tree, right? And you typically take a break when you see a tree when you're in the desert. Because there's something extraordinary about a tree in the middle of the desert. There's something that shows us that life is possible in the desert. And what he says about this is that he gives two pictures to, to people who really don't have any visible things to cling on to anymore. He says there's a way to trust God and there's a way to trust yourself. Those are, those are the two ways to live. That's all there is. Either you trust yourself or you trust God with your life. And, and as, he, as he paints this first picture of trusting himself, th this, person, uh, this person where we could see ourselves easily as well is the, is the person who puts themselves in a situation with their back against the wall and they can't see the way out. They're, they're, you're dry, maybe you feel like this sometimes. You're dried up and you're empty and you have quite an unproductive life. It's not a very fulfilling life. When, when God removes His grace off of us, is it? It's not, it's not a very productive life. It's discouraging. But the, Christ, the Christian who runs on his own strength, who, who hides his sin with busyness, who trades deep community for a variety of surface level activity, who trades the pure milk of God's Word for cheap, counterfeit self-helpism, is a person that trusts themselves and ultimately finds themselves like a shrub in the desert. This is, this is what he's talking about here. The profile of this person is, is all around us. And, and how do we know if it's us? It really has to do with how well we endure the journey of the Christian life. In, in Acts chapter 5, there's this Pharisee that's named Gamaliel. 
And he's kind of a high-ranking Pharisee that people tend to listen to when he speaks. You know that kind of person? When he speaks, you kind of listen. Well, the, the apostles are arrested, and the high priest and some other officials are ready to beat these guys and, and probably take their lives. Because of the message of the gospel, they definitely tell them to quit preaching. it. They're like, hey, we can't. They get arrested again. It's, it's kind of a mess. So this older and wiser man, Gamaliel, stands up in the midst of all the Sadducees there, and he says something. He says, listen, Acts chapter 5, verses 34 through 39. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men, the apostles, outside for a little while. And he, he said to the rest of them, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees that would have been around, he said, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, and he claimed to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and, and all who followed him were dispersed, and the movement came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan, get this right here, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. It will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop it. You will not be able to overthrow it. Now why do I share that with you? Because our faithfulness on this journey with God has to do with finishing the race. A lot of people start the race A lot of people say they want to follow Jesus and give their lives away and let God have reign over their lives, but not that many people that started finish it. Paul talks about this. He says, in a race, everybody runs, but not everybody finishes. New City, we want to be the kind of church that finishes the race. Amen? We want to be those kind of people. But in order to do that, we have to sink ourselves deep into Jesus. Now, Jeremiah is bringing to mind something that King David, likely King David, uh, would have written in Psalm chapter 1 that, that has very similar language. But in, in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, David writes about the source of the rootedness, the source of the depth. So let's look at this, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. New City, who we are is far more important than what we're going to do for God. Our lives will only produce what our roots are sunk into. I mean, think about this. You don't plant a peach pit and expect apples out of it, do you? What we sink ourselves into, what we're smitten by, what we invest our lives into, will be what we produce. When you get to the end of your life and you look back on it, the things that you did day in and day out will be what you're known for. So we want to be a church that sinks our roots deep 
into Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about this tree that he talks about, this image that he gives them when all of the other images and all of the other physical things that would have recalled their mind to God, he gives them this the image of this tree that sunk its roots down. Now, uh, the, the roots grow deep in times of drought. Because, because if the tree could get water just on the surface, the roots would never grow deep. So the times of drought that God's people have are the times that the the strengthening and the roots grow deeper that will sustain and be able to bear the fruit that God wants to put on the limbs of your life as you sink yourself into Him. And the, the beautiful thing about fruit, using this metaphor here, is a fruitful tree does not exist for itself. It doesn't exist for itself. When a tree is healthy and it is producing lush fruit, the fruit is not for itself. Its nourishment comes from a different place. It's happy as it's nourished and it's, 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 it's doing what it's designed to do. It, is, it exists solely for the sake of others. And when a, healthy, when a tree is healthy, it blesses others by the depths of its roots. New City, we have the opportunity here in this place that God has put us, in this time that He's put us here, to bless others by the depths of the roots that we sink down into the Word of God today. And what God produces through our lives will be in direct correlation to how deep we go with Him. Not just alone, but together. But here's our issue. We're, we're so focused on quick fixes, on artificial fruit and patchwork that our culture rarely celebrates the deep underground work that's necessary to see the kingdom advance. People don't celebrate work they can't see. The problem is you'll never have fruit that abides unless you do the underground work. That's what Jesus calls us to do. As I think about our story as a church, we started in an unconventional way for church planting types of people. We did not start with a room like this where we sent out a bunch of mailers to see how many people we could get to show up in a gym together. Because frankly, you can, you can do that. I mean, church planting is hard, but you can do that in Atlanta because people have a, a propensity to go to church if you invite them. But, but one of the things that God had pressed upon us is that if we don't go deep, how are we going to be faithful over the long haul? And so <laughs> we started our church in the basement. Both literally and you know figuratively, Megan and I started with a group of, you know, I think I had five or six guys. I think all of them were in this room, and Megan had five or six ladies, and I think all of them were in this room. And we just said, let's go deep together before we ever try to produce something, produce a service, preach the gospel. Let's go deep into the heart of God together. Let's mine out our sin and see God be faithful in those moments, and then let's see what He might do from it. And so there we started. 18 months before we ever got into a big room like this. And I, and I would say this, because of that, those of you who have come along later in the journey have benefited from the depth that we had early on. And if we continue in that kind of a path, we continue sinking our roots down deep into the heart of God, we will bless others for years to come. It seems kind of selfish and counterintuitive to say that the most missional thing that we can do is go deep into God's heart together. Because it seems like there, there's kind of this deception of depth, right? It seems like, well, if, you, if it's just kind of this holy huddle thing, but that's not what we're talking about. You know, most of you have flown before, and, you know, there's the little pre-takeoff instruction to 
If you've got a kid with you, put your oxygen mask on first and ignore your kid, right? It seems like crazy. You're like, man, my kid's, my kid's going to die you know, if, if, you know, heaven forbid, something happens like that. I'm, I'm over here trying to secure my own oxygen mask. But what we realize is that what could happen is that you, put the, you try to put the oxygen mask on your kid, you don't have time to put it on yourself, and both of you suffer because of it. Church, we got to put the oxygen mask on ourselves before we can help others follow Jesus in the type of abiding relationship that we want to seek. And I would say, even, even as a note to parents in here, one of the most missional things that you can do for your children is be discipled. Because how are you going to lead your children to something that you don't even have yourself? Because let me tell you this, when they go to college, church service will not do the trick. They're going to need something deeper than that, and we want to help you do that. Your marriage will not sustain just showing up on Sunday mornings. It won't do the trick. you got to go deep into the heart of God and find out that even there in your exposure and in your weakness that God is there with you. Church, we got to be a church that's planted. And as we are planted, what we see is that God is pleased to produce fruit and multiply ourselves. We're a planting church. Back to Jeremiah chapter 17. Look at verse 8 right here. and He goes on to say this. This tree is not anxious in the year of drought. He's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, a tree that does not cease to bear fruit is a tree that multiplies itself because fruit has seeds in it, right? And so it does not cease to multiply itself. And so Jeremiah 17.8 tells us something significant about a person that's truly planted themselves and sunk themselves deep into God. Circumstances do not alter fruit, they reveal it. One of my favorite quotes is by John Owen. He says, Trials and circumstances put nothing into a person, they only draw out what was in there before. And so, whatever tomorrow throws at us, whatever next week throws at us, whatever happens in your family this year, it's only going to reveal how deep your roots are, and where you've placed your hope. And for, for Christians, for those that want to sink themselves deep into Jesus, I'm telling you, if you've ever, if you've ever suffered before, the, the, the trite self-helpism just doesn't do the trick anymore, does it? Whenever I suffer, whenever I go through things, I want to be around people who have walked through it and somehow seen Jesus as more beautiful going through it. Those are the people I'm running after. I'm not going after the bumper sticker faith in those moments. I'm going after the people who have walked through the fire and seen Jesus. That's the kind of people that God is calling us to be. We were always made to be fruitful and multiply. I mean, that's the command that we get in the garden, isn't it? Be fruitful and multiply. But sure, physically, but also spiritually. Jesus gives us the same call. Tim Keller Someone, someone once said to, to Keller several years ago, he's, they're like, hey, as busy as you are of a guy, he's a pastor in New York City, planted a, a, a really, really faithful and fruitful church. They said, as busy as you are with your own ministry, how do you make time to help other people plant churches? That's what they ask him. So you've planted a church. You've got several thousand people here. You guys are going deep in the heart of God. You guys are doing good work. How, do you, how can you even consider, how can you even think outside of this? And he said something that is potent. He said this, in the body... Church growth that does not benefit the rest of the body is not biblical. So think about this. 
One of the things that God calls us to do as a church to be healthy and faithful, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the Big C Church in Gwinnett County in Lawrenceville in Atlanta. What He's doing in you is not for you all the time. Sure, you'll have a benefit from it, but it's for others as well, what He's doing in you. He said it's not biblical if it doesn't benefit the rest of the body. And then He says this, in the human body, cells that only benefit themselves are called cancer. We don't want to be a cancerous church. We don't want to be a church that only benefits itself. A life that doesn't multiply itself into the lives of others is like a cancer of the soul. A church that only takes and never gives is like a cancerous church. It impedes the growth of the kingdom. Megan and I have lived in this house that we have for four years now. We've lived in four different houses in our 11 years of marriage. And in these different houses... We've had different types of houses. We've had, we've had, in a couple of them, we've had trees in the front yard. And in two of them in particular, we've had these trees called Bradford pear trees. Now, when the guy that whoever built the house put the tree out there is thinking, hey, this will be a great tree in about 10 years. It'll, it'll be great, right? It'll, it'll grow up really strong and grow up really tall. But any of you that have a Bradford pear tree in your yard, you're probably getting ready to cut it down. You've already got estimates, I know. I remember one day, Neil, Neil Gilmore was over at my house, and I'm literally hanging off the side of a ladder with a running chainsaw, chopping this thing up, because there's one thing that's for sure. If you plant a Bradford pear tree in your yard, it's going to come down. It's not going to last. Now, the reason is, is because it has this kind of, this, this, this really quick growth. It's really explosive growth. But because it, it springs up so quickly above ground, it doesn't grow in the ground very deep. Its root structure is very shallow. It becomes a, a, a top-heavy tree. Now, here's the thing about us. Our propensity as Christians is to be top-heavy disciples. Those that show a lot about our progress in the Gospel, that show a lot about you know, who we are and what we've done for God, but we have very little depth. And I think one of the best ways that we can benefit this community is to go deep. Matthew 28, 19-20 is a very familiar passage to maybe some of you. I want to read it. It's, It's the last thing that Jesus told His disciples that He had spent three years with. They hadn't done much ministry. They'd been with Jesus, but they hadn't done a lot for the kingdom yet. Because Jesus was pouring His heart out and His life into them. He was teaching them the way of the kingdom. And And Jesus says this to them as He sends them off. He says, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And He says something really interesting right here. In order to make a disciple of all nations, here's what you've got to do. You've got to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here's the interesting thing about this. Matthew 28, a lot of times we think about the, the, the word that we hear typically is go. Now, go is not even the imperative of this, of this sentence structure here. The imperative is make. And it really reads like this, as you go, make disciples. To make a disciple, he's saying you can't make a disciple outside the church. So therefore, if disciples are being made, churches ought to be being planted. There's no such thing as an orphan in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, we're all part of a family. We're all part of a church. And so the, the call here in Matthew 28, if we really want to boil it all down, it's, it's go plant churches. 
You're going to make disciples, and those disciples are going to plant churches. That's what's going to happen, because there's going to be a group of disciples, and they have to be a part of the church, because there's nowhere to be Christian outside of the church. They have to be baptized into something. They're baptized into the life and the community of the church. And he says, go and teach them as well, all the things that I've commanded you. Go and do what I've done with you. So as we're, as we're pushing down one another deep to multiply. We want to push out church planters as a church. just want to give you some vision about what we want to do, what we see God doing through this church and what our call is here. The, the leadership of our body has agreed that, that out of all of the beautiful ministry that we could be a part of outside of Lawrenceville, so in Georgia, in the U.S., in other countries, out of all of the ministry that we could be a part of, there's not a more effective ministry to be a part of than church planting. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to line up everything that we can to plant healthy churches. That's why John and Lourdes are with us this year. Because we, we're, we're, getting, we're getting our feet wet into this as well. They're going to plant a church. They're probably going to the Miami area to plant. We want to be about church planting because we want to go deep with Jesus. And there's no way to get around church planting without that. Reproduction church is a byproduct of health. So as, as we get healthy... We're going to reproduce. We're going to multiply. And we want to see that done all over the world. And so the way we see this kind of going forward is that we will have church planting residents with us as we move forward. And they'll be able to learn some of the, some of the things that we've done right and some of the things we've done wrong. And we'll be able to give them experience and help resource them to be church plants. We don't have all the details figured out and, and, and the ins and outs of what that's going to look like, but we are for sure one thing. Like if it doesn't end in church planting outside of, outside of Lawrenceville, outside of Gwinnett, we're probably not going to be a part of it because we want to zero in, we want to focus in on church planting because when you plant a healthy church, all of that other ministry can come out of it. And only churches can plant churches. We're the only ones that can do it. And so we want to we have such a laser-like focus on this. Now, I know I've talked a lot about just going deep with Jesus and what that will do for us and for our community and our city and how we'll live on mission together. But here's one thing I don't want you to forget as we talk about this, is that ministry, like following Jesus and making disciples and planting churches, is really about this father and son, this father and daughter endeavor. Like it's, a, it's such a joy for God to use us in his kingdom. Uh, I remember it was, it was probably four years ago, I was working down in my basement I was building a wall in the kitchen, and Caden had come down. He was, he was two at the time, and he said, hey, Dad, I want to I build the wall. And I said, okay. And so, you know, and then he disappeared, and he comes back down, and he's got his little tight tool belt on with his little plastic hammer and his goggles on. He's like, he's like Dad, let's do some work. And so, uh, and so he comes over, and he starts, he starts working on the wall with his, with his toy hammer, and he stays down for maybe 20, 30 minutes, which is like an eternity for a two-year-old. And then he goes, he goes back upstairs. We had, we had finished the wall. Someone helped me lift it up. We'd anchored it in. And he goes upstairs, and he, he, says, he says to Megan, Hey, Mom, come and look what I built! And she comes downstairs, and uh, she's like, Caden, that's, that's amazing. Look at this work you've done. And he, you know how this goes. He didn't do any of the work, but he was with his dad. Now, for us, here's the deal. God does all the heavy lifting in the ministry that we're going to do. But he is so pleased to use us. He's the one holding the hammer. He's the one driving the nails. 
but it flows through us. And even though we, we are using these little tykes hammers to build his kingdom, God is so pleased to use you. So my question to you today is this. Will you let him use you? Will you let him take you deep into the heart of God so that we can go wide? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning in your word. We thank you that you, you call us to go deep into your heart. You call us to sink our roots down. You call us to do underground work, to build our inner lives with you. Lord, we, we, we know that this is something that's not celebrated, yet it is crucial to your kingdom going forward faithfully here. So Lord, would you help us sink ourselves deeper into you? Lord, for those in here that are just living on an island right now, would you show them the next step, the next pathway, not just to do ministry for the church, but to sink themselves deeper into you? Lord, for those that have been sinking themselves down into you, and it's time for that fruit to bless others, would you show them the next step? Would you give them this urge to just seek your face, to be faithful to all that's been poured into them, and seek that, not only that second generation, that third, but that fourth generation of disciples? Or would, would we be that kind of church, the kind of church that our grandkids could go to? So Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst, and we thank you for King Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.